Welcome back to Shad on TV, Game of Thrones edition, the unofficial podcast companion piece to the queen of all HBO shows, Game of Thrones. I'm one of your hosts, Gene Lyons, and alongside me is my co-host, Big D, Dick Ebert. Good evening. And this, at long last, is our listener rewrites episode, where the viewers take control of Game of Thrones and tell us how it all should have gone. It's been a long ride, these 40-something episodes of Shad on TV, Game of Thrones edition, and we are sad to say goodbye, but this isn't goodbye. Uh, it's just, hey, go subscribe to other podcasts. So check out Shat the Movies at ShatTheMovies.com and go on ShatOnTV.com to subscribe to Taboo, American Gods, True Detective, Westworld, and Coming This Fall Watchmen. And thank you to everybody who's written in and said, hey, I love what you guys did with Game of Thrones. I'm now checking out True Detective. But Big D and I are, are here to say goodbye for Game of Thrones. But it's it's only farewell if you choose for it to be. Yeah, I think it's kind of sad. It's been a long road. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, but I don't think even, you know, this will temporarily be the end because when the prequels come back, I imagine that we'll you know, maybe repurpose the feed, you know, do an addition to it because it's on the throne. Maybe we'll just change the name, but uh, we'll be back at some point. Presumably the show comes back. So before we get started, just want to say thank you to everybody who wrote in these rewrites. I know it took a lot of time and effort. Uh, people wrote in thousands of words in some cases, uh, multiple emails. Very tricky, guys. Mm-hmm. I give you a 500-word limit, so you just write four emails, <laughs> parts one, two, three, and four. This is uh, the best of the best, or at least the ones that were the most odd or tickled our fancy, but by no means were any of these not good. Uh, and you can read all of them at shadontv.com. Uh, if you go under the Game of Thrones section, uh, you can see all these rewrites, and some of them are fantastic. Others are bizarre. Uh, they're all really enjoyable reads, though. Yeah, hey, I found the spectrum of the the submissions we got were pretty much on par with what I would expect. Some normal, some questionable, and some very strange. Perfect. And it was fascinating that some people wrote in for the first time. Like, they waited this whole time through the small council, never wrote it, and they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'll rewrite the show for you. No problem. But the biggest lesson, I think, is we should have a little bit of respect for the writers of Game of Thrones, because I think as people wrote these, they discovered just how difficult it was uh, to write them. And some of these, I will say, are, in my opinion, better than what HBO did. But still, respect to the writing team uh, from Game of Thrones. It was a Herculean task, and we're not always up to uh, taking those on. We recently covered RoboCop for Shat the Movies. And it was, I think, the 30th anniversary of the, the release date. They went out and found, like, say, 20 independent filmmakers to each remake a scene from the movie. And they called it, like, remaking or my RoboCop. I would love to see what you could give, not just our audience, but let's say 100 fan filmmakers. Give them some time to rewrite a part of it and shoot it and string it all together. You would get something so fantastic. Because uh, if anything, the fan base of Game of Thrones are some of the most creative, just out of their mind. Just It would be something great to watch. And one final thing before we get started, I want to say thank you to everybody who has contributed to the podcast financially, everybody who's written reviews, everybody who's written in words of support. I'm so sorry that we haven't been able to respond as quickly as we'd like. Uh, Big D and I, our number one focus is content creation. We always want to make sure that we have these episodes out. Uh, in a timely manner and fresh for you. Uh, It's never been about the money for us, so that's always going to come first. Uh, But we do appreciate everything that you guys have done, and we are going through in this offseason and making sure that we 
uh, connect with you guys, let you know how appreciative we are of your contributions, uh, and come up with some new ideas, maybe uh, merch and other things that can really help bring the entirety of Shat Nation together. So thanks, everybody, uh, for your support. And with that, I think it's time for the Game of Thrones rewrites. All right, and here's the honor of the first ones from Patrick Richards. He says, hello, guys. You asked for our thoughts about some possible different storylines. Well, I decided to keep the same storyline, but change whose point of view we'll be seeing it from. Got a few of these, so I sent more than one email. Hopefully, these add something to the story. And Patrick sent in uh, several of these, but this was my all-time favorite. He says, this is a point of view of a citizen waiting to talk to Daenerys, speaking to another citizen in the episode titled The Children. (laughs) And so this is from the point of view of the citizen. He says, this is ridiculous. This line is like 350 deep every day. There has to be a better way. First off, we don't need the whole, you were speaking to Daenerys Targaryen, the queen of blah, blah, blah. Can we just drop it? And they're like, you got Daenerys, go. Bam, I just cut the time in half. And how about like a help desk or at least a phone line? We can expedite some of the less important things to the help desk. Cut down online time. Bigger issues to the queen, smaller issues to the help desk. You want to go back to slavery? That's a help desk question. Your kid got burned up by a dragon. You got straight queen time. I just need some of these dead slave owners clean up off my lawn. I'm a help desk candidate all day long. And while we're talking about dragon, she really named her dragon Drogon? Come on. That's like naming your son Sone. You literally changed one letter. I don't need much from my queen. I mean, she did get me out of slavery and all, but how about some originality? Is that too much? What's a better name? That's the point. Any name is better. Straight up call that dragon flying death machine. Bingo. Bango. I just named the dragon. This line is killing me. How much longer? What do you mean number 106? I thought this was just a line. We need to pull numbers? You got to be kidding me. I'm 20 people from the front of the line. I'm not getting a number. I've been here for seven hours. This line is like trying to get a Furby at Christmas time. Huh? Sorry. Holiday time, I mean. Fine. I'll get a number. Number 407? Come on. This is the world of Jerry Seinfeld in Game of Thrones. This is what it is. Patrick wrote in another one, which was two guys talking to each other while climbing the wall. <laughs> it was fucking amazing. Talking about the fact that they got you know two left hooks instead of a left and a right. One of the complaints about uh, Game of Thrones as a whole as it progressed towards season eight is a lot of the common folk that were featured early in the series kind of evaporated. And toward the end, they were just screaming mobs, essentially. Yeah, you had a little bit of that in the bells, but for the most part, it really focused on a few uh, characters and everything else just became uh, CGI and extras. So great observation, Patrick. I loved your point of view on this one. And speaking of the bells, we have an email from Claire Blankenship who offers her alternative version of that episode. She says, hey, guys, in the Bells episode, when the bells finally ring, we see Daenerys look angry on Drogon toward the Red Keep. Instead of burning up King's Landing, she rides straight to the castle where Cersei is and burns that sucker up, killing Cersei in the process. This is a much more ambiguous action than burning the entire city, and this action will divide her team. Is doing this okay because she killed the ruler everyone hates, or is it not okay because the bells were indeed wrong and the city had surrendered? In the aftermath, Daenerys is shown with Tyrion as a prisoner for aiding and abetting Jaime's escape, and Jaime as a prisoner for being Jaime. 
She is preparing to Dracaris them in front of a huge crowd of villagers, Dothraki, Unsullied, etc. And Tyrion makes an impassioned speech that is very Tyrion-esque, but the queen is unmoved. Jon Snow steps in and puts in his two cents. Let's all move on. There's been enough killing, etc. At this point, Daenerys has had enough and tells Jon he is a traitor for advocating for Mm -hmm. these two. She immediately has him taken by the Unsullied as a prisoner and puts him by Tyrion and Jaime to be roasted. Daenerys indeed yells Dracarys, and Drogon blasts Jon, Jaime, and Tyrion. Tyrion and Jaime are turned to ash instantly, but since Jon is part Targaryen, he is unburnt and alive. The crowd gasps in astonishment to see he is a true Targaryen and that the rumors are true. He is the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. The crowd begins to turn on her, and Danny can see this happening. She is overcome and goes completely nuts, and in a nod to her father's words, screams, burn them all to Drogon and points to the innocent villagers. John screams no and quiets everyone by admitting what everyone now knows. He is the true Aaron King. He orders Daenerys arrested, which Grey Worm feels he has no choice but to do. The series wraps up with Daenerys's trial in which John passes judgment that she must die. But since we all know the man who passes the sentence must swing the sword, he tearfully executes her himself. John then abdicates the throne, saying he never wanted to be king, but had to take responsibility for Daenerys' trial and sentence before he stepped down. As there are no Targaryens left, he selects Sansa as the next in line, with Bran as her hand and advisor. John tells everyone he wants to be free of the trappings of power and wants to leave King's Landing. He decides to go north to reconnect with Tormund and the Wildlings to live his life beyond the wall in peace. I'm cool with Arya taking to the sea to become a badass pirate. Claire Blankenship. So Claire, very interesting. Uh, I think we, I only have two little problems with it. One, John was questionable about whether or not to turn on Daenerys when she just roasted a million people. I'm pretty sure he'd be okay with her just roasting a few, even if it's his friends. He'd be like, I don't know. She's my queen. We have to just follow her. And the second problem is John could be burned. Just because you are a Targaryen doesn't mean you're fireproof. Do you remember Viserys when he had that golden crown poured on his head? He fired up pretty well. He got crispy and killed. Do you remember John when that white they brought back into Castle Black woke up? John got burned when he was trying to, when he eventually set him on fire. So John was not fireproof. Yes, he was a Targaryen, but not every Targaryen's fireproof. Maybe he's just half fireproof. He'd be like Two-Face. That'd be a dramatic turn. You take away John's good looks plus his love, the queen. This could be dark Phantom of the Opera shit. When I first read this, I was like, oh, that's kind of silly. John is not that bold a character. And I thought back and I was like, you know what? If it was John from after the Battle of the Bastards, John, when he takes like those arrows in the shield and then kicks the ever loving shit out of Ramsey Bolton, that's the John that I miss. I mean, or the John that hung poor little Ollie. You remember that? He hung a boy. Yeah. Ollie Ollie was a piece of shit. But but John was a little more decisive back then. Turning from King's Landing, we go to Winterfell with an email from Brent Daniel. He says, hey, Gene and Big D, one rewrite of season eight. I'd really like to have seen this as I think it would have blown my mind to see chaos represented in Westeros. I think I'd like to see this most because it is so completely different. And the thing I was most afraid of was losing at Winterfell. So let's see what happens. The White Walkers win at Winterfell. It's completely overwhelming, but many people escape and flee. Our heroes are separated into several groups. 
John heaves Bran on his back and flies away with him on Rhaegal. Drogon flies off to free himself from the Whites, and Jorah manages to run with Daenerys. The Hound and Arya escape with Sansa and Tyrion, who fled the crypt to avoid the Stark Whites. Jaime and Brienne escape, or they don't. I'm not sure I care. Theon definitely bites it. All is lost, and everyone is running south to try to outpace the Whites, who are delayed as they scour Winterfell for Bran. We turn to the stories of hardship of traversing Westeros, but this time it is winter, and the pace of the Whites is terrifying. John and Bran on Rhaegal eventually reconnect with Daenerys and Jorah after Drogon finds her fleeing south. They journey to Dorne by air. Arya, the Hound, Sansa, and Tyrion make their way to King's Landing. Their goal is to infiltrate King's Landing, though Tyrion wants to warn Cersei of the coming of the dead, the Hound wants to kill the Mountain, and Arya wants to kill Cersei. In Dorne, Daenerys, Jon, and Bran try to determine some strategy to isolate the Night King. The Hound party reach the Red Keep, and Tyrion manages to get a conversation with Cersei, but Arya slips in and kills her with a big fight in the Red Keep with the Hound and Arya trying to take out the mountain. Meanwhile, the White Army has breached Keek's Landing and appear to be ready to take the Red Keep, but they stop and head south. Bran has used crows to draw the Night King to a new trap. The trap is more sophisticated. Bran's warging extends to many creatures at once, and this holds back the White Walkers, and the Night King comes alone. Daenerys tries Dragonfire again, but it is a ruse as Jon comes in from behind and uses Longclaw to slay him. All the Whites and White Walkers perish. With half of Westeros destroyed and littered with the dead, Jon and Daenerys lead a cooperative of Southern Lords to piece together a way forward. Once reunited with Sansa, Arya, and Tyrion, they plan for a re-annexation of the North, with Sansa leading the way to establish houses from survivors. Twenty years go by, there is no Iron Throne, but a quaint new Targaryen homestead that Jon and Daenerys rule from. Bran is their master of whispers. Sansa has rebuilt Winterfell. Arya is shown to be someplace entirely strange. Different, no? And that comes from Brent Daniel. See, this is what I expected. I like this. It's a completely different direction. It's a little Jerry Bruckheimer-esque. Um, I mean, other than the, the, the Dr. Doolittle animals holding back the whites, I, I think the rest of it could have been done. Uh, I know. What do you think the audience would have thought of a big action sequence where the Night King remained the big villain to the end? I think the idea of the fleeing sort of in, in an homage to like the Terminator would have been kind of cool where the Night King just keeps sweeping. You know, seeing these characters, these heroes fleeing and running for their lives and trying to hide as they go, much like Arya's movement northward after her father was executed, uh, would have been entertaining to watch. What I love about Brent's email, though, is that he's like he finds a way for everyone to survive Winterfell and go south, but fucking Theon, for some reason, he picks him out. Now, Theon's got to die, though. <laughs> he doesn't get to live. Everybody else gets to take it out, not Theon. Yeah, I think uh, this would have been interesting to say. I mean, I... I don't know that the fans would have been any happier, but it would have been a, a very different action-packed finale. You, you wouldn't have been able to question that. Now, this next letter is very different. This one comes from Sarah W. and Adrian W., who collaborated on this one. They say, hey, guys, everything happens that happened through episode six, except post-scene one, Drogon is seen flying with dead Daenerys over an icy landscape. In his talon grip, we see her eyes go blue. Post scene two, John leaves Castle Black with his band of wildlings en route to wherever it is they're going. 
they discover rune spirals a la the late Night King. After more dramatic but succinct development, John and Tormund come face to face with the new Night Queen, Daenerys. John enters a shame spiral of self-doubt and is mesmerized mm. by dead Danny's new corpse chic look. Her icy blue eyes, white hair, white tattered robes, cold marble cleavage. He still loves her and moves toward her open arms for embrace. Ghost and Tormund freak out. Tormund tries to kill Daenerys, but is torched by Drogon, who, though alive, is still bound to Danny. Ghost whines and turns tail to run for Castle Black. Later, John and Daenerys get it on, and John's eyes go blue. Note, we have book canon precedent for this. A long-ago Stark, who was the commander of the Night's Watch, fell in love with a female white and made her his corpse queen. They did some terrible things at Castle Black, including the sacrifice of children. It said the Stark gave her his seed and with it his soul. <laughs> Post scene three, Bran leaves the small council with the offhand remark he will see if he can help find Drogon. He enters his trance and finds himself inside Ghost. He sees Drogon torch Tormund and John in Daenerys' power. He sees a montage of John and his corpse queen doing terrible things at Castle Black with their band of wildling whites. He sees a march on Winterfell and Danny's thirst for vengeance against Big Mouth Sansa, a.k.a. the Queen in the North. And that comes from Sarah W. and Adrian W. Wow, I, I'm speechless. I, I don't... I, where to start? I, I think it's fantastic. First, that, that we now know that you can be converted into a, a White Walker by intercourse. It's almost as if it's a, a sexually transmitted disease. I just love the line... Tormund and Ghost freak out. Like, like I just want to, like, they look at each other. Oh, what's he doing over there? My favorite part was the the shame spiral. Is that <laughs> shame what she said? Spiral. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that Sarah and and Adrian had a lot of weed this night. They were sitting around, and I think this was a a marijuana aided uh, rewrite. This strikes me as more of a white wine sort of night. Either way, I will guarantee they both woke up the next morning with hangovers. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Adrian, for your rewrite. Next up, we have one from Lady Anna of House McNamara with a little bit more of a serious take on things. She says, I have bipolar disorder and see a lot of myself in Daenerys. My biggest disappointment this season was the loss of her perspective. In my ideal world, this is what would have happened. Up until episode four, I was okay. When Masunday was captured, I wanted to see Daenerys' reaction. No doubt she had fear about that. I thought she was dead. Maybe Danny did too. After seeing her on the wall, she might have felt some relief, Grey Worm included. I think Amelia Clark's acting in this was impeccable. It was the reason I related to her with my mental health. With bipolar disorder, you go through spouts of depression followed by manic episodes. I watched her go through a depressive episode in Dragonstone and felt a manic episode on the way which is why the burning of King's Landing made sense to me. There's no reason for her to trust Cersei, and if she had just flown away after the bells, I would have been so irritated. I was already irritated with Tyrion when he told her to go talk to Cersei. I would have liked to see her fly straight to the Red Keep. When she touches it, she sees wildfire exploding and realizes Cersei has created a trap that makes her look like she has completely torched the whole city. After seeing such destruction of innocent life, she is conflicted. John and Grey Worm realize Daenerys is not done, and so John can go through that whole conflicted scene with his men becoming the bad guys. If Daenerys can't trust Cersei, surely Grey Worm would get the clue not to trust the troops. 
Daenerys tries to console the troops and citizens by giving her speech appearing to look like a conqueror, when in reality she is struggling with watching the loss of innocent life. After Tyrion throws his pin, she realizes she is 100% alone, except for Grey Worm, who is also lonely, and so likely not much of a figure that can help her navigate her feelings. Everything goes down with Jon and Tyrion the same way. Instead of Jon stabbing her, he denies her request to rule with her again. She breaks down and asks that he kill her as a form of suicide because she can't handle the complete loneliness, and she knows the people will never love her the way she wants to be respected. Jon is conflicted, then he sees her grief and gives her a quick death. I would have just liked to see Daenerys recognize the madness in herself. She knew this was a possibility, and I know Danny wouldn't want to be a tyrant. She says it herself. In my ideal world, she would have recognized without Jon's reason and lack of advisors to talk her down. She wouldn't be able to rule in a way she had imagined. I'm sure there are plot holes and this would be picked apart, but you get the gist. I just missed Danny this season. Thanks for the reading, Lady Anna of House McNamara. So I'm I'm not an expert in you know, bipolar disorder. It doesn't seem within her character that she would say, "I'm I'm you know, kill me. I've come all this way. I've suffered. I've you know she's believed that this is her destiny. To all of a sudden start to question that beyond question, it just be willing to lay herself down because she's done horrible things. I don't I don't know if that would be in line with what we've experienced through the first eight seasons. What I like about Lady Anna's letter is that additional dimension that people might dismiss, but I think is important, which is the psychology of things. And I think Game of Thrones is an excellent TV show. But when I talk about the upper echelon of writing for TV shows, I think about shows like The Leftovers, where it may not be as much action, and it may not be as fantastic, and it may not even be as big a variety of characters but the psychology drives the show. And I think that would make the show stronger, uh, Game of Thrones, if we got a little more into the psychology. And we did get into it to some degree with Sansa, with Theon. And I would agree also that Daenerys had a bit of deep psychology going on uh, that I would have liked to see more of. So Lady Anne, I agree with you. It's wonderful that each of us can see relevant points about our own psyche or our own lives or our own feelings reflected in the show. I think that's the mark of, of really good fantasy or really good sci-fi when it extends beyond just a, a fairy tale. And I think you've mentioned it before. That's why the books succeed. We're able to hear their inner monologue. We're able to hear their thoughts when they're questioning themselves. You mentioned the leftovers as being you know the, the high point or a, a goal that shows should strive for. It works. You got to remember, Gene, it's a small town and a story that focuses on a single family, primarily in season one. You can delve into the psychology of each of the characters because it's such a small cast of characters. In Game of Thrones, it's hard enough through the first two seasons to keep track of people's names. <laughs> you really can't dive into this. It would be a very different story. Imagine if you pared down Game of Thrones to just primarily follow, let's say, Daenerys. You left off all the characters who she doesn't meet or doesn't directly impact her. Then you could do that. That would be a, a really interesting dissection of the psychology of the character. But on the scale that the show was right now, it'd be way too big, but very interesting to think of. Moving on from psychology, let's get into a bit of dialogue. This next one comes up from Talani C., uh, who actually gave us some dialogue, so some script along with this rewrite. It says, okay, we're in the throne room. 
John has just killed Daenerys and Drogon is rearing back to let loose. And John does that yelling at a dragon thing. And instead of blasting him, Drogon melts the throne. They both finish roaring at the same time. And Drogon's eyes meet John's angry eyes staring back at him. Drogon offers a wing for John to climb up. And he does. Drogon picks up Danny and they fly off together. We see a smoldering King's Landing for an instant before they rise above the clouds and fade into the same blinding sun that opened the attack. The next scene is beyond the wall next to the three-eyed raven's weirwood tree. We get a panoramic view on the way down to ground level. The wildlings have already started repopulating. There is smoke rising from several huts hidden in the woods. The sun is coming up and the weirwood is full of ravens. John has piled wood for a pyre and Danny is already on top. He and Drogon are both staring at the pile when John unsheathes Longclaw and places it on top of Danny. He steps back and Drogon lights the pyre. They watch for a long while before Drogon flies south alone. John walks into the woods, presumably to join the wildlings. Time has passed, and we're taken to the King's Moot at the Dragon Pit. Tyrion is marched there at spear point in shackles and gets shoved to the ground. Grey Worm demands to know where John has taken Daenerys. Awkward silence for a few heartbeats. Then Sansa states the obvious. No one knows where they have gone. What do you want? And Grey Worm responds, I want justice. And Davos ventures a response. We cannot give you justice, my friend. We do not know where they have gone. Grey Worm replies in anguish. There was blood in the throne room. The Iron Throne has been destroyed. What happened to our queen? She would not abandon us. Arya says, it appears she has. Now there is a long silence. Edmure gets up and does a similar but different self-nomination, and Sansa sits him down. Another silence follows, and then finally Bran speaks up. Yara Greyjoy, the Iron Islands have never sustained your people. If you move to Lannisport, the Iron Islanders will dominate all the oceans of the world for a thousand years. Your people will be shipbuilders and map makers. They will be captains and they will be merchants. Your people will flourish and multiply. Yara is shocked and then nods her head. The mood lightens and everyone is eager to hear what Bran has to say next. <laughs> he takes too long, so Sansa speaks up. She gives her speech about the free north. Bran nods his head. Everyone agrees, and then silence. Bran begins again. Edmure Tully, wine grapes will grow well on the rocky hillside beside River Run. Bran continues. Samuel Tarly, House Tarly will flourish in the years of peace that are to come. Horn Hill will become a place of knowledge and learning. Lords, merchants, and commoners will send their favorite sons to gain knowledge and advance human knowledge. Then Bran to the no-name Martell Prince. Sunspear has already erupted in civil war. The Sand Snakes are thirsty, and a new threat to your people is rising in the east. And now Bran looks at Tyrion. Tyrion Lannister, your house is no more. Go with Sam Tarly. Your place is at his side now. Bran is picking up speed now, and he turns to everyone's favorite glow-up, whatever that means. Robin of House Aaron, we will meet again. Until then, I wish you and your people peace and prosperity. And Grey Worm interrupts. He is disgusted and completely out of patience. And us? Where will you have us go? What will become of the Unsullied and the Dothraki? Bran's response is, dragons are attracted to war. They cannot resist the call to battle, and their thirst for blood and fire cannot be quenched. This statement is followed by dead silence. We almost forgot that Bran is weird as fuck now. <laughs> Bran picks up again. Bran of House Tarth. The knights of the realm have been wiped from the earth like your house and so many others. Who will rise up and 
Who will raise up a new generation of knights? She nods, affirmative. Challenge accepted. No name random lord interjects, what about King's Landing? Who will be our king? And then pauses, looking at Sansa. Or queen? (laughs) No. Yara responds, no one. We don't need a king or this shithole King's Landing. Let us each govern our people as it was in the days of old. We will build a new city around the port. A just city. A city ruled by the people who live there. New Lannisport will be a city ruled by learned and distinguished leaders that live among the people and know their pain and suffering. This is followed by a lot of affirmative head shaking and hear hears. Grey Worm turns around and storms out. He's not happy, but what's he gonna do? <laughs> that comes from Talani C. Um, I'm at a loss for words. And again, th- this email was much longer. Oh yeah, much much longer. I trimmed it down. Much longer. Wow, this was. Wow. Okay, <laughs> let's go back to the beginning. Um, would Daenerys be fireproof even in death? I don't think she's like fireproof. She can will herself to resist fire, I think is the way it goes. What? No way. You saw her. She came out of that hut. She she survived quite a few times. She took a direct blast of fire from a dragon. I think she's fireproof. I think maybe when she dies, like the Metachlorian count, okay, yeah. it drops down and then after a little while. But there's no way. I'm sorry. The most ridiculous thing in this entire email John is never giving up Longclaw. Never. Never. I mean, think of all he's been through, though. He's he, it's, he's sick of the death. He's sick of the battle. He just wants to be left alone. He exits stage right, right? What I like the best about it, though, is how how amenable Yara is to everything. <laughs> She's oh, yeah. like, we're going to build a just city. I'm like, Yara's a fucking pirate. Oh, but hold on. Think of the real king's mood. Yara's completely cool with the North being free. She would have been like, what the fuck? You promised the Iron Islands we'd be free also. It's all of a sudden the five kingdoms. And then Dorne says, unbent, unbowed, unbroken. Now you're down to four. But no, I'm sorry. John's not giving up long call. I don't care. There's no more war. There's still largest polar bears up north. You got to have that thing for home defense. And thanks for giving the no-name lord from Dorne uh, some actual speaking lines. Uh, We brown people appreciate that. I want to know what it means to glow up. Is that it's obvious that he got yummy. You know, it's more like a oh, he got he glowed up nicely. The Urban Dictionary defines glow up as an incredible transformation or to go from the bottom to the top or the point of disbelief. So it's like a, like a Neville Longbottom. That's a glow up. Man, I can't believe that was an actual term. I see it. I see it. No, instead of g- growing up, you're glowing up. I like it. I'm going to put that right next to smoke show and words that I'm using in 2019. Yeah, but I don't know, like, how often am I going to be able to use this? Maybe one other time in the next 10 years? Next up, we have one from Paul in San Diego, who's focusing more on Bran. He says, we see the aftermath of Danny's destruction of King's Landing, and it proceeds on through the ending we've been given. But when the darkness falls as our characters head their separate ways, we are suddenly drawn into Bran's mind, and it swirls outward until we pass through his working eyes and out onto a new scene where Daenerys sits atop the walls and is about to begin her destruction, but instead she goes only for the Red Keep, killing Jaime, Cersei, and those inside. Then events proceed, and slowly all the characters end up in the same ending as before, and then, just as before, we warg out of Bran's eye and watch again as events unfold with a different decision by Jon or Tyrion or anyone else with the same outcome and then back. Ultimately, we see the original ending and Bran taking the throne. For me, this satisfies one of my key dissatisfiers with the ending, specifically when it comes to Bran. 
We are led to believe that he can alter the past, such as in Hodor's case, and he can experience every feeling everyone in the world has ever felt, but we're never really given insight into what that power can mean to his ultimate ruling of the kingdom. In this ending, the viewers are satisfied that many paths were considered and played out, but only one is chosen as the least of all evils, and because regardless of the decisions the main characters make, the final outcome is the same, and the one path chosen by Bran features the best possible future for the kingdom. Of course, it would be nice if the previous episode built out Bran's abilities or the Three-Eyed Ravens more, but we could fully experience them through him, the first person wrestling with the decision of which path to take and finally deciding on this one as the best for the kingdom. We've been inside Bran's mind before in his dreams and visions, so I don't think this one is too far of a stretch for an audience that is searching for the perfect ending. I think anything that would have resulted... In the culmination of, what, three seasons of training, of him going north, of him becoming the Three-Eyed Raven, other than for it to end with him sitting in a courtyard, guarded by Theon, and then warging into some crows to go find out where the Night King is. Anything else would have been more rewarding than that ending. I love episodes of TV shows when they redo the same scene over and over again. I think that's why I like like Back to the Future so much, too. But th- that, I don't know if there's a term for that cinematic effect, but it's when you you replay the scene with a slight switch every time. And there's a TV show right now on Netflix that is absolutely fantastic called Russian Doll. And it has a, the protagonist uh, lives through the same night over and over again and keeps dying uh, and goes back to it. I like this take on it. We could see these these alternate realities or different paths that could have occurred. Um, I'd be entertained by this. I like it, Paul. I think even if they didn't just focus on that last scene, if they went back and showed you some some key pivot points, some crossroads in the show where Bran had gone back and given it a nudge here, a bump here. So things that we thought there weren't alternate paths that we saw that he had been kind of tweaking it for much longer than just the very end. I think that would have been neat. Thanks, Paul, for your email. Here's a bit of a feel-good one from Andre DeSale, who writes in, Jamie ultimately finds Cersei attempting to flee the city through the throngs of others making their way out of the Red Keep complex. Cersei promises that she always loved only him, and Jamie reluctantly succumbs to her manipulation and brings her toward the boat arranged for them. When they arrive at the entrance to the secret beach to the catacombs, they're greeted by Tyrion, flanked by unsullied soldiers. Tyrion says that the queen is waiting for them after a bit of banter, and after a reigns of Castamere, they walk through a phalanx of soldiers, and the twins are confronted by Jon, Davos, Grey Worm, and Daenerys alongside Drogon. Tyrion proclaims the numerous crimes committed by Cersei aloud, and Jaime, back in chains, is forced to watch as his sister is then executed by Drogon. With the battle won, Tyrion, Jon, and Daenerys enter the throne room, covered in ash from the assault. Daenerys approaches the throne, touches one of the sword handles, and finds completion in her task. Being that she wanted to break the wheel, she surprises all in the room when she commands Drogon to destroy the Iron Throne, and grinning, walks out of the room as Jon and Tyrion watch as the throne is melted into nothing. As Daenerys makes her way to the remnants of the Grand Balcony, Jon catches up with her to try and get a sense of where things go from there and what will happen to the kingdom. Daenerys reveals to Jon that she wants to create a better world for all the children of Westeros, including hers and his. Aw, snap, she's pregnant. 
John is left utterly bewildered as Daenerys turns to those gathered near the ruined gates of the keep. As Grey Worm announces, it is my honor to present Daenerys Stormborn, the first of her name, the unburnt, Queen of the Andals, the Roinar and the First Men, Queen of Marine and the First Men, Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons, Slayer of Tyrants, and the Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. The Queen is dead. Long live the Queen. And then the Dothraki and the Unsullied and the Northmen all shot in unison. <laughs> Long live the Queen. Fiend. Other than Cersei, everybody makes out pretty well. Seems like a positive, happy ending. Well, Jamie has to watch the love of his life burn in front of him, but you know. Ah, but he fucking deserves it. You know, the things we do for love. It would have been a good bookend. You know, it starts off with the two of them, ends with the two of them together. I think it's creative. I think it's nice. I think people would have just melted down. If you have this somewhat happy ending, they're pregnant, they're together. Not that many people are killed. You know, it's all our key characters seem to be alive. I think people would have had a problem with it. I would just love them exiting the catacombs toward that boat and Tyrion waiting for them. And as they start going, you hear that cello playing the reins of Castamere. <laughs> I would, I'd be clapping. Fuck yeah, they got her. Mm-hmm. Tyrion finally did something useful in season eight. This next one, Big D, is fucking weird. So brace yourself. <laughs> Comes from Walter in Woodside, California. Here is my idea for a rewrite which would have satisfied both the viewers and the producers who want to propagate the franchise. Leave everything the same up to the point Tyrion is waking up in his new cell after being arrested by Daenerys. I could have sworn that while Tyrion was waking, his eyes glinted just a little bit blue. If not, that can be CGI'd in. We'll come back to this. <laughs> Meanwhile, Daenerys assembles the Unsullied, the Dothraki, Grey Worm, and Drogon and starts to march toward Winterfell. According to them, Sansa's got to go, as does Winterfell and everything else in between. Tyrion joins Jon, Arya, and Davos, and they jetpack up to Winterfell. A crow is sent to Castle Black, and Tormund and his crew also jetpack to Winterfell. This could be explained by Daenerys taking the time to spoil and plunder as they make their way up north. At Winterfell, there is a gigantic battle. Grey Worm kills Brienne. An unsullied team takes out Arya. A horde of Dothraki descend on Tormund, Davos, Gendry, and Bronn, and there are dead bodies everywhere. Jon and Daenerys then do battle for the control of Drogon, who is conflicted because Daenerys is his mother, but she's evil and Jon is good. This takes place around the Weirwood tree where the Night King fell. His icy yet shattered remains contain the slightest clue that this is where he was dispatched by Arya. During the chaos... Drogon whips his tail through the remains of the Night King, and these shards hit Tyrion full on, causing numerous punctures. As Tyrion starts to succumb to his injuries, his eyes roll into the back of his head, and they turn an intense and glowing shade of tidy bowl blue. Everything stops. Tyrion then grows, all of the no. Hulk, and becomes the new and improved Night King, bigger than the size of 1 1. Tyrion raises his hands just so, and the dead Arya. Brienne, Davos, Gendry, Bronn, and Grey Worm morph into White Walkers, and they quickly and deliberately go to his side. Then they slowly advance toward Daenerys, Jon, and Drogon. Sansa can be seen on a wall in the distance, looking like a true damsel in distress. And the scene goes black. The end. And that comes from Walter in Woodside, California. Walter, well done. Well done. <laughs> I, I don't. I, 
the, uh, it's fat. I'm just, I just like that the Night King's remains they just left him there. Like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> Nobody's cleaning this shit up. And then Tyrion of all characters ends up being the the giant Night King for some reason. I mean, I pay to see this. Oh, fuck yeah. Are you kidding me? I want to see it now. I think I might dream about this. This is a when we wanted rewrites, this is a rewrite. That's beautiful. Congratulations, Walter, on the weirdest email of all the rewrites. Next up, we have one from Shelby Dick. Uh, She says, hello, Gene and Big D. My name is Shelby, and I found you guys at the beginning of season eight. I want to start my rewrite after John kills Daenerys. It's really just a scene that I would have really liked in the finale. In the distance, you hear Drogon crying for his mother. As John lays Daenerys down, you hear the voice of Rhaegar. Aegon, what better name for a king? And then you see Grey Worm enter, and John says, I did it. I killed our queen. Next, you hear a voiceover of Lyanna. Will you make a song for him? Grey Worm and John start to fight. Drogon makes his appearance and nuzzles Danny's body. John kills Grey Worm and approaches Drogon. John touches Drogon's face, and Drogon does not recoil. And then Rhaegar in a voiceover replies, He has a song. He is the prince that was promised, and his is the song of ice and fire. This is as far as I can get. I just really enjoyed this vision from the House of Undying in the second book. If you're interested, it's on page 527. Thanks, Shelby Dick. So Shelby, interestingly enough, last night, as I was going to bed, I was listening to the audiobook of book two again, and I was just on this part of the House of the Undying where Daenerys is making her her trek uh, alone and, and seeing these visions. Uh, so when I was reading your email, I was like, holy shit, this is perfect. Uh, and it was weird because I got emotional, like just thinking about it. And all it is is a, is a simple callback, right? We're just saying that Rhaegar and Lyanna's voices basically attesting to the legacy of John, imposing that over the combat that he has to endure uh, with Grey Worm and the cruelty and the tragedy of, of this ending. I think it really would have added a dimension to it. And almost given it a bit of a Star Wars prequel feel, which I actually like the Star Wars prequels. Uh, I don't know how the audience would have reacted to it. But kudos for bringing the books uh, into play. Thanks a lot for your email. Big D, you'll appreciate this one from Ryan Spengler. Gets more into the military side of things. He says, hey, Gene and Big D, I love the pod. And I've really appreciated your analysis this season to help me through this wild ride. I wish I could rewrite most of season eight. But here goes nothing in 500 words. Let's begin by having John and his military advisors actually setting up Winterfell appropriately this time. There are multiple rows of trenches with flammable spikes outside the first line of defense. Melisandre ignites all of the soldiers' weapons this time, but the Dothraki become overly arrogant with their newly acquired toys and decide to charge at the undead against orders. Everything plays out the same way for the rest of the battle, except, oh no! Brienne falls when the Whites overrun the castle, with Podrick also falling by her side. Jorah still gets killed beside Danny, but the rest of the main characters fall back to Weirwood to make a last stand in front of Bran. Jon, Tormund, Theon, Jaime, Grey Worm, Gendry, Davos engage in an epic showdown against the Night King and his generals. Tormund and Davos both have dramatic deaths, but the generals are all taken out, which also kills the remaining Whites. The Night King has a brutal duel with Jon, who is saved by Theon, sacrificing himself while Jon lays on the ground injured. This sacrifice gives Jon enough time to get up and stab the Night King in the gut. When he doesn't burst into shards, everyone is stunned, until Arya jumps out of the shadows to put her dagger through his heart. She later explains that Bran told her she would be the one to kill the Night King by this method. 
Bran is still useless. They then travel down to King's Landing without losing Rhaegal and engage in an epic battle with the Golden Army before entering the city. The Dragon Star and Top Gun 2 while disposing of the Iron Fleet. John and Grey Worm are enclosing on the Lannister forces inside the walls. Daenerys lands on the same spot with Rhaegal beside Drogon, waiting for the bells to ring. Jaime actually makes it to Cersei this time and explains Tyrion's plan to help them escape. Cersei hears the bells and begins to swiftly make her way for the dinghy because she planted hundreds of barrels of wildfire under the Red Keep. However, a stray scorpion manned by Euron and some Iron Fleet survivors that Danny didn't destroy hits Rhaegal in the eye and takes the dragon's life. Danny, who originally agrees not to torch the Red Keep, hears the voices of everyone telling her to be a dragon in her head and blasts Euron to crisps. She then makes her way for the Red Keep, kills Jamie, Cersei, and all of King's Landing because of the planted wildfire. John, Grey Worm, the Unsullied, the Dothraki, and the citizens all burn in a trap set by Cersei. And episode six is The Trial of Daenerys. I haven't written it yet, but I'm thinking of letting Gene and Big D finish it because I'm a pantser who loves to watch something beautiful become destroyed. Thanks, George. That comes from Ryan Spangler. Ryan, I like it. I think one of the problems that we had with The Long Night was that there truly wasn't any loss to our characters, the ones that we really like. The plot armor was thick that day. I mean, I mentioned that the characters we lost weren't even in the top six in episodes appearing as characters. One of the characters was Leanna Mormont, who is a bit character. She's been in eight episodes. She's been on screen for maybe, what, two hours total? Oh, no, no, not two minutes, minutes. Well, maybe she's in the background for, yeah, okay, you're probably right. She's probably on for like seven minutes. How many lines does she have? But I like that. I, I want more people to die. I don't want it to become the Avengers. Like, you know, everybody lines up, and they, there's going to be a final stand. But I wanted some of them to die. I wanted to feel like anybody could die at any moment. And that addresses then maybe the multiplying or the need to have the Unsullied or the Dothraki somehow miraculously reappear, like you only lost half the troops. I would have rather it had been this big battle. Uh, I think it'd be very interesting. I mean, again, you wouldn't want, I know, Gene, that you didn't want to see uh, Daenerys actually triggered to decide to burn the city because you feel that it robbed her of her agency. But it would make sense. It would have given us those big battles. And I think it would have been interesting to uh, rewrite to see. I really enjoyed Ryan Spengler's approach because... He's like, hey, if we're going to make it an action show in season eight, let's fucking make it an action show. Imagine the gods would with all of our favorite characters, steel in hand, fighting off against the Night King's lieutenants. That would have been fucking epic, man. One on one, you know, our best against their best. That would have been really cool to watch. All hope is lost. The living are done. This is a final stand. Somebody takes out one of the lieutenants. You see a group of maybe 4,000 whites just collapse they all look at each other and know this is just a suicide mission we all have to do whatever we can to take out the lieutenants and it's just you pop one here pop one here and slowly as they turn the tide it would have made that victory more earned we would have it would have built up the the hope we had you know until that final shocking moment where Arya comes out and she kills the night king it wouldn't have just made all the time we spent building up this this villain of the Night King and all his lieutenants and the undead to just in the end make them, you know, you, you independent stayed them. You took a crop duster and flew it up and killed all the aliens. Yeah, it was that and the virus that Jeff Goldblum implanted. But again, make them work for it more. 
Welcome to Earth. <laughs> Next up, we have one from James C. from New York. He says, hi, Gene and Dick. I would rewrite all those scenes in which seeing the reaction would have given viewers the opportunity to synthesize their feelings. So here are my rewrites. First up, split the Battle of Winterfell into two episodes. Conclude the first after Daenerys tries to burn the Night King. And then split the Battle of King's Landing into two episodes, concluding at the bell ringing. In both, I want to see the initial reaction of the people. Don't skip the cleanup, the tears, the relief, the emotion. There wasn't enough emotion and time to digest. Also, have the Unsullied try to kill John and Drogon protect him. John has the chance to take the throne, but he still refuses, and out of despair for killing his queen and betraying his honor, he goes north by choice. Best Game of Thrones podcast by far. Thank you, James C. from New York. Love it. Love it. Simple, minor tweaks. But again, it's addressed by the issue that we said, time. These are minor changes that I think would have dramatically impacted what the characters did, how we felt. It's not a big twist. It doesn't just hand wave Grey Worm being okay with John surviving. A little bit more time. I think one more episode, and you could have done it. During The Long Night, we talked about how the director wanted to have three different movements in the episode in order to give you a little bit of emotional relief, change the pace up a little bit so that you don't get numbed by this constant action. I think James's solution here is even smarter. You split it into two episodes, so you have time to recover over the course of a week before you're thrust back into that action again. Could you imagine the fucking cliffhanger of Daenerys lighting up the Night King, and you got to wait a week to see what the fuck happens? People would be shitting their pants. You'd be so excited for the rest of this episode. Why spoil it all in one shot? Spread that shit out. It'd be fucking amazing. Same with King's Landing. The bells ring. What's she going to do? You got to wait a week to find out. Fuck yeah. Cliffhangers galore. It's the last season. Go for broke. But you remember, we were reading before the season even aired. Longest battle ever. The longest filming ever. The most majestic weapons that we've developed. They were hyping it up. It was almost like this was the, the big badge of honor. Look what we did. Look at this spectacle. It was a big, beautiful battle, but it was too much. It was almost too much. And they were so focused on making this the first of its kind that it would have had such more of an impactful result in, in the overall arc of this season if you just split it up and let people, let, let's see people's reactions. Because that's in the end, the show was built on that. We look at it, the second episode is the one that we liked the most. See how the fight is affecting the people in it. Have a couple of our favorites fall and see that how, how it affects them. You know, because if you don't catch your breath, the next punch doesn't affect you as much. It's just a wave. It's just too much. And I agree, Big D. I don't think anybody would complain about an eight episode season. And so what? They didn't get it done in 73 hours. I'm fine with that. You know, you don't even have to make it that much longer. You know, like you said, these episodes don't have to be that long. So great ideas, James. Uh, maybe you give HBO a call and see if uh, if they can use your genius over there. Next up, we have one that's truly bizarre from none other than Kenny P, who writes in, hey, guys, you wanted fan fiction. You're getting it in droves. Shout out to Dick Ebert for my inspiration. So my fiction, 
Everything happens exactly the same. The last sweeping visual is of Jon Snow writing beyond the wall and fade to black. And then we hear on the radio, wake up, New Jersey, to another terrible day. It's 6 a.m. on the Lord of Light FM Christian Rock Network. Here's a song to start your day. This is a song by the band Ice and Fire. Enjoy. The camera fades into a shot of a young George Martin. He slowly gets up and says, crazy dream. We hear a distant banging in the background. It's getting closer and closer. George starts sweating nervously. George, it's his father. George, get your ass up. You left your journal on the floor again. Is this dragon fantasy bullshit what you're spending all your time doing? I'm not going to allow my son to be a loser. Now get your ass up and take it like a man. We still hear him getting closer, but we do not see him. We hear the sound of a belt snapping violently. George's father kicks open the door and starts feverishly beating his son and fade to black. George created this fantasy world as an escape from the physical abuse of his father. Thanks, Big D, for the inspiration. Dick's razor shows us it's always an abusive, troubling father from a broken <laughs> home. <laughs> that comes from Kenny P. Dukeman. Seriously, the ending is fine. Ken, you're fucking with me. As I'm reading this, I'm coming up and making it even darker. So George, in this flashback, he's got the books finished. The father takes the last two books no! and throws them in the fire no! and says, what are you doing with this shit? You're ruining your life, you little fat bastard. Get outside and cut some wood. As the books burn, we then see George panic, and he has spent the rest of his life trying to remember all he had written. He's trying to finish the books that he had already completed. Fuck, that is that is dark, guys. <laughs> I love it. And finally, Big D, we have a special um actually for you. It comes from Steve V, who says, Hey, Big D, Karen Carpenter died by choking on a sandwich in bed. Um, actually, this iconic voice was silenced at the age of 32 due to congestive heart failure as a result of a long battle with anorexia nervosa. Not upset, just want to set the record straight. I'm sure you wouldn't have said that had you known. Uh, no, Steve, you're correct, and I've responded to you. Um, uh, this is one of those those legends or those rumors. I remember my parents telling me, oh, don't eat in bed. You're going to choke and die. Like I'm, I misremembered. It was uh, Mama Cass from the Mamas and the Papas. And even that, my parents were wrong. She didn't choke on a ham sandwich. She did die of you know cardiac disease from being overweight. But uh, no, no one died from eating a ham sandwich. I was completely wrong. And my parents lied to me. Thanks, Steve, for providing that um, actually. And Steve also provided us with the perfect way to close out our coverage of Game of Thrones. So as a thank you to the listeners, uh, Shad on TV, Game of Thrones edition, decided to go out and find the perfect voice to bring a song that Steve wrote for us to life. Uh, so we had the honor of connecting with Natalie Ribbons from the Texas band Telenovela uh, with a special song written by Steve. And going from us to you, the listeners, thanks so much for listening. Yes, I just want to genuinely thank everybody who's listened, written in, supported us, told their friends. Uh, this podcast has become a, a big part of our lives. And I honestly feel honored that people let us into their cars. They let us into their uh, iPods, their phones when they're driving to work, when they're sitting on the train. It blows me away. It, it really has exceeded any of my wildest dreams. You guys have stuck with us through the highs, the lows, the good times, the bad times. Uh, whatever's going on behind the scenes, if we're having bad days in our personal lives, trouble at work, 
problems with the family. You guys are always there for us the way we hopefully are there for you. Uh, so it's been a good ride. We hope you stick with us. We'll be doing a lot of other shows this year and we have the movies. Uh, so hopefully this isn't goodbye for for forever. But I just want to let you know that you genuinely mean a lot to me. And I thank you all for the support and the love you've given us because it's, it's what keeps us going. And without further ado, here's Natalie Ribbons with Puff the Mighty Dragon with lyrics by Steve Vincina from L.A. Amongst the bones 
Then little Johnny Snowball, he's asked to be let in. Puff guessed it didn't matter now, John's practically his kin. But just a minute later, Puff felt a stabbing pain. The psychic link inside his head said, Mama has been slain. He quickly flew to see her and howled, it can be true. But Puff had felt what happened then, and deep inside he knew. The only one he found there was Mom's love, Johnny Snow. Puff knew how much she loved him and thought he'd let him go. But Mama's blood was spilling, he must have stabbed her dead. So Puff did what good dragons do and bit off Johnny's head. Oh, Puff the magic dragon flew across the sea. But now to old Valyria, what dragons ought to be? Maybe Puff did find them, maybe they were lost. But if he did, he'll bring them back in force to Westeros. Oh, Puff the mighty dragon lived across the sea and frolicked in the autumn grass with Mommy Khaleesi. Puff the mighty dragon lived across the sea and frolicked in the autumn grass and snagged on Dothraki.